You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question, where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Stephanie Cowell. Stephanie has been an opera singer, balladeer, and founder of Strawberry Opera and other arts venues, including a Renaissance festival and an outdoor art series in New York City. She's the author of Nicholas Cook, The Physician of London, The Players, a novel of young Shakespeare, Marrying Mozart, and Claude and Camille, a novel of Monet. Her work has been translated into nine languages and adopted into an opera. Stephanie is also the recipient of an American Book Award. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her career and latest book, The Boy in the Rain. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Stephanie. Thank you so much. I am so happy to have you here, Stephanie. I love all of uh, your body of work. Uh, it, very interesting. I'm a big fan of Mozart, personally. Never uh -huh. saw him. I never saw him in concert, though. But uh, <laughs> I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? Oh, well, it begins as most, most authors. And when I was fairly young, I was about seven, I think. And I was, I, at that point, my sister hadn't been born. I was alone a great deal of the time after school and not having any friends. I kind of made them up. I had some really lovely friends and one or two of them uh, grew up to, to inhabit my, my, uh, my novels. And, and then I guess when I was, uh, gosh, great age of 11. Uh, I, I made my official debut as an author by writing a sequel to the um, the play Peter Pan, the musical. And uh, everybody thought it was just incredible that this child wrote this thing and I got to play Peter, which is really great because I always thought it would be totally wonderful if I could have been born a boy. But it, it was it was an amazing experience for Peter Pan. Do you still have a copy of that? You know, I'm not sure. I, I, I went to my, my, you know how we all 
as we get older, accumulate all these boxes of stuff. And I, I went into my early writing and I can't remember, I think so. In which case I'd be afraid to read it. <laughs> to see if it holds up to what you remember. Well, my standards, my standards have increased uh, 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 a little bit. And then I became a, uh, became a, um, all those things you mentioned and studied to be an opera singer, sing a lot of Mozart. And it was um, during the singing of a Mozart opera that I, um, the story from my particular new book began to haunt me. So here we are today. Here we are today. Was Well, Mozart was known for, was he the first composer to to produce or write an opera in German? Do I remember that or am I making well, that they, up? No, they, I think, I think, I think there were operas in German, but certainly, certainly not at, 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 in, in, in Vienna, believe it or not. And it was all mostly Italian. Yeah. Uh, Italian. Everybody was crazy about Italian. Um, and so it, it, his last opera, well, he did a couple of operas in German, actually. Um, just, golly, just, just, just wonderful. I loved my time writing about Mozart. I fell madly in love with Mozart. Mm -hmm. With Salzburg and went to his room and cried and you know, all that that's that's on my bucket list of places to visit i've never i haven't really spent a lot of time in europe or, or really outside of the united states unless i was on a business trip unfortunately <laughs> i had my kids when i was very very young and going to vienna is is certainly on my bucket list i want uh i want to go there just for the well for the food but also for the uh the culture um, my, my mother was a, a classically trained, trained pianist and oh. she, she would always be playing classical music in her home. And sometime in my teen years, I mean, I was very into rock and roll and heavy metal music, but I, I took a class, uh, in college called music appreciation. And I just fell in love with, with Mozart. I loved, you know, his music. And I remember watching the movie Amadeus when I was young and it was, uh, you know, it was I, I was captivated by his life story. He has an amazing life story. And I, I uh, when I was writing my book, uh, a, a, a complete box set of uh, everything Mozart ever wrote, including his five-year-old things, came out. It was about 120 discs or something like that. And I sent for it. And it was coming from Germany at the time. And and, and and practically took it to bed with me. I loved it so much. I mean, I just I got it all. I got it all, and and now, now I'm playing it again. It's it's I I, I totally love Mozart. That's wonderful. When when my kids were young, we have triplets. When they were young, oh, wow. yes, yes, we had these DVD series called Baby Mozart. Um, oh, Baby Mozart, of course. And it was, I mean, it was, I mean, it was like, uh, it was like a drug. They they would just like like be hypnotized by the music and the visuals on the screen, of course, but. We, if we needed a break, we knew to go to Baby Mozart and put them in the DVD player, and the kids would just be like, you know, zonking out in front of the TV. It was great. It, it, it's very calming. I mean, it has a calming and, and healing uh, effect. Uh, when I was singing, when we were rehearsing the, the last opera I did, actually in my living room, uh, it was different that then my sons were then teenagers, and they told me they were going to be permanently deaf. By the time they were 21, if I kept that up, I thought it was wonderful. But my tenor subsequently um, sang leading roles at the Met. And we had big voices, you know, and I thought it was this great, this um, place. 
Well, when did writing uh, stories come back into your life? Well, they, um, I should read to my teens. And then when I was in my early 20s, I, I um, won the um, National 17 Prize, which is a kind of a big, big thing twice for short stories. And then I became a singer. I thought it was too lonely to just sit there and write. You know, I really wanted real people, not, not the ones I, I, I made up so much. And, and it was the last opera I was singing. Um, I was actually, uh, as you do in opera, if you're a certain voice type, you uh, women sing the part of young boys. And so I was cast as a, as a young boy. And uh, it was during that that I began to um, feel the, uh, this particular, the boy in the rain, it's very early versions, um, which went on for many years of my life and the writing of it. Um, and, and a year later I had, I had stopped singing and devoted myself to writing. Uh, it was kind of a tremendous call, I guess. Well, you mentioned before when you were talking about, you know, you writing that sequel to Peter Pan, how you felt <laughs> like you, you should have been born a boy, right? Like you felt yes. like you wanted, and now yeah. you're an opera singer and you're singing the part of young boys. I mean, how, how did, did that, that feel right to you at the time? It was very interesting. I mean, I always felt that um, I always thought that 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 you when I was young, I thought anyway that that boys. If I were a boy, I'd be a a bulber sort of person, and you know, make my way in the world less shyly. And that's just all rather silly. But um, and and of course, I I adored adored boys, so I both sort of had crushes on them and wanted to be them. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. <laughs> so this I think back on it was some shit. <laughs> so this book of the, the Boy in the Rain, I mean, it was it started, you know, and it, it crept into your sort of consciousness a long time ago, like before you wrote some of your other works. Is that right? Absolutely. I start, believe it or not, this is quite incredible. It was a 39-year journey from the first um scratches on paper, which I made on a on a dare from two friends when I told them I was being haunted. And um and then I wrote several other I wrote about ten or twelve other novels, five of which were published. And then after then I finally I was writing this all the way through it. It never really uh was the time for it didn't quite work out right. But finally I, I during COVID I finished it. Uh I loved it so much and, and there, there we have it. The long journey for the book. So, uh, you know, especially, you know, on this program, like this year and part of last year, I've been talking to, you know, a lot of authors for whom COVID was a blessing in that regard because mm-hmm. it, it gave them time to sort of get those stories out. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, maybe, and a lot of them were talking about stories that they had started many, many, many years ago. Really? And- I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting, you know, stories that they may have shelved. um, But for one reason or another, you know, having this extra time when most of other life was kind of put on hold, gave them the opportunity to to start rethinking of their their older works. And it sounds like that's what happened for you as well. Well, I I love this novel and I had a a kind of a struggle with it um, out in the world. And I'm really sort of glad it took as long as it did because it wouldn't be what it is today. And during COVID, I, I live in, in the middle of, of New York City, which is, was the epicenter. And during the, the height of COVID, you heard the, um, excuse me, 
hear the ambulances going by all the time. It was terrifying. And then I really felt very sincerely, you know, we never knew, you know, what's going to happen. And I felt that if I could finish one more book, no matter what my agent said he wanted or anything, this was going to be the book. So that was the kind of intensity I had to uh, tell this story and, and why I'm always fascinated with my fellow writers. Where is the story from? What, what is this intensity that you will take 10 years of your life and or more or less or whatever it is and, and, and live in the world of these particular people at this particular time you know it's just this fascinates me well let's let's not keep the listeners in suspense what can you tell us about the boy in the rain oh well the boy in the rain is, is a love story set in edwardian england which is um 1901 to 1910 and it's about um two young men one is 19 and and an artist and one is is 29 and um if a banker has turned his back on his great love, which is socialism, and uh, they meet and they fall in love and they begin a relationship which has a lot of ups and a lot of downs and a lot of passion as they uh, try to navigate um, uh, the difficulties of a relationship. And at that time, of course, it was much, it was much more difficult for them because the law uh, imprisoned um, men who were caught in any act of um, intimacy with another man and sent them to solitary confinement for two years, sent them to to a hard labor, and um, many of them came out and, and died uh, shortly thereafter because because of the ruthlessness and the, of these horrible, horrible. And where, of course, the most famous one was Oscar Wilde, um, who... When he got out of, of, of prison, was released from prison. Of course, his, his brilliant career, everything was in shambles. And when he died, I think at the age of 47, it was really quite, you know, so not only do they have the usual uh, problems that, 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 that couples have, but they have this threat over those always. So I could see why, you know, maybe in 2023, it's a better time to release a book like that than it was 39 years ago. Do you think the culture would have been prepared for for a book like this 39 years ago? I, I really don't know. I know I couldn't write a book like this 39 years ago. It was really very, uh, I, I I just hope that none of my early drafts exists anywhere because I was got it once and threw them in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that... one of me of growing up um, as a writer, as a person, um, of saying what I have to say is more important than what is selling at the moment um yeah yeah but but stories do they come out at the right i i believe anyway that they come out at the right time um you know there there's a number of things that i've tried to write before that just just wasn't ready or didn't feel right when i was writing it whereas years later if i come back to it i have a new perspective on things and you know i i've changed as a person yeah yeah, because of that you know, it's um maybe maybe it's a it, they just I don't know just it just feels different sometimes after you've gone through a little bit more life and had a little bit more experience and yeah you know, the the time might be right later on down the line. Yeah, I think emotionally, um, also I mean I had um 
nine years ago, I, I lost my beloved, beloved husband, his great love of my life. And he adored this book. And he kept saying, when are you going to publish this? And uh, so I think um, a, a part of the, I'm, I must, I want to be with this love. I want to make a, a, a relationship in spite of all the difficulties um, came into, into my book. You know, all, so many things come into a book. Even if you named the thousand of them, you still couldn't say, why the book turned out that way or that way. It's very complicated. I'm curious because you spent, you know, a life on stage performing <laughs> and feedback from a performance is immediate, right? I mean, oh gosh, yes. You're not even waiting to the, to the curtain yes. drops. I mean, it's, it happens in the moment. And I know in this, the moment, yeah, yeah. you know, from, I, I perform stand-up comedy and I know that, and that's one of the reasons why I love getting up on stage is because, you know, when, when I've written something, I don't know if people like it until a book comes out, a story comes out and somebody provides some feedback. And that could be a year after I've written something. I, you never know. Um, when you're performing, it's immediate. You know, like if, if, mm. I write, if, I, if I tell a joke, people either laugh or they don't. And I know whether or not it works or not. I'm curious, what's what's your take on sort of the sort of the delayed reactions you get from writing versus the immediate reactions you get from performing? It was horrible. <laughs> when I first, uh, you know, stopped singing and threw myself into writing, you know, when I was, I did so much singing. I did opera singing and I did a lot of uh, ballads, had a sort of an operatic soprano voice, but like old English ballads with guitar. So I did a lot of solo performances a lot. And I would know within two minutes where the audience was. And it was always a different kind of audience because of different people. It was a different day. It was a different weather. It was, and, and, um, it was, and, and then I was there all alone with my book. And I said, Oh my goodness, you know, uh, <laughs> where, where's the response? There's no response, you know, and, and I think the hardest time, one of the hardest things being a writer. Um, maybe especially a novelist, it's, it's the waiting time. You know, you can you can write a book and then not sell it for a year or two years or three years, and meanwhile, you know, you're you're biting your nails all the time. It's it's uh, yeah. Yeah, the the waiting is the hardest part sometimes. The waiting is not... the waiting is, is the is the hardest part. It it really is. Um. So tell me, what do you are you do you still perform now? Do you still get out there and and no, flex those yeah. golden pipes? Oh, yeah. well, uh, I uh, singing the way I sang, um, which was a fully developed um, operatic voice, takes a, a huge amount of muscle coordination, and you have to really do it. You know, do it pretty much every day. You can go two weeks, three weeks, and not do it. It's fine. But I had gone years, and so I sing Schubert over the dishes, and the dishes <laughs> don't walk away. So I. Just... <laughs> <laughs> and they don't they don't no, spontaneously no, break either. And I'm 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 older and, and I, I I still have a high B, which is quite high, but I don't think I have a C or D, which is even higher. And I used to have them like boom, you know. <laughs> Alas. Are you uh, are you still living in New York City? I am. I, I lived in the and I was born in New York City and I've lived in the same apartment for fifty years. Oh my goodness. I know it's, it's sort of what is amazing New York City stories. Uh, the, um, 
the the first of this month, two very exciting things happened um, to me. I went, I celebrated my my uh, fifty years in in this in the same apartment, and the audiobook of my novel, uh, which I'm just listening to, uh, with astonished delight, um, came out. So it, it's 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 uh, it's been a big feud. Do you have anybody else in the building who's been there as long as you have? Yes. Yeah, I have. I have a dear. I have a dear friend. Um, uh, I've, I met in the laundry room when we were young mothers. We had cute little two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and those kids have grown up to be past fifty. Oh my and goodness! And it is great fun. We get together at least once a month and have a glass of wine, and we talk about oh, whatever happened to so and so, and I remember your kid when he was a monster, and you know. Uh, just the, the, it, 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 it's really quite wonderful, you know. A lot what part? Of what uh, what part of the city are you in? Upper West Side. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's, nice. it's I was very. I got this apartment on a fluke, and uh, I I'm lucky to have it um, because it's affordable, and uh, so I I'm here. There you go. Yeah, I, what, living yeah. in New York City. So I live in Connecticut, so not too too far. Um, but you know, living in the city is one of those things I wish I had done when I was younger. Uh, I never, I never did. I commuted into the city for work, but I never, I never lived there. My daughter this summer had an internship and she, she's living in the lower West side right now and, um, loving it. Loving Where it. exactly? She's on, yeah, she's in the West, she's in the West village. Um, Ooh. and, uh, we, you know, it's, a, you know, in a, in a, almost like a dorm room um for for the summer but it's a a fun neighborhood you know she's right near you know a walk away to lots of fun things and um one of the most wonderful neighborhoods in the i'm down there a couple of times a week in the the whole city as a matter of fact i I, uh, where i was a very young mother my first son was about seven months old um we uh sublet an apartment uh, from a friend for the summer, from, I was on Jones Street, which is right in the center of of Venice Village, and it was hold your hat, forty seven dollars a month. No, please don't tell me that. <laughs> it cost it cost me more to have dinner out in a modest <laughs> restaurant, and we paid for the month. It was quite astonishing. The bats in the kitchen and all that stuff. Yeah, New York. I, I love New York. I, there's so many stories in New York. Have, have you ever no, thought I, about writing a story set in New York? I have, but I've never done it. Isn't that I? I have several friends who come into the city and met with me and um, to do research, and I've taken them around, introduced them to people, and they produced these wonderful historical New York novels. And and not me. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, because it does fascinate me, but maybe, maybe it's too cold. Yeah, or maybe it's too close to home. Maybe, maybe you know, London and uh, you know Vienna are are more yeah. uh, a little bit more interesting to you because they're they're not as close. Who knows? You know, I'm going to start with the character, and um, all my books start with characters, and none of the characters have lived in 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 New York City. Um, I, I thought possibly of doing one based on my mother who came to New York in the 30s to be a fashion artist. Uh, it was a wonderful, interesting time. But I think, oh my gosh, all that research. 
Uh, <laughs> Out of curiosity, where did your mother um, come to New York from? Um, Schenectady, Schenectady, which is near Albany. Uh, she came from out of Schenectady. She was terribly poor, and she fought her way up as she became one of the top um, fashion illustrators uh, in in the country. Because she's really, really quite quite a wonderful story, but a lot of I'm not sure if I want to witness it. We'll see. My my, I asked because my grandmother came from Italy, and oh, Italy, and w- was a big fashion designer in New York City. Oh, really? Um, around uh, probably uh, she probably predates your mother a little bit. Um, what was your name? Maria Mazzoni, and she worked with Oleg Cassini. Oh yes, uh, and um, you know she made her career in the fashion industry in in New York. And um, and then she, when her brother and sister came over from Italy, she got them jobs in the fashion industry and in the garment uh, industry. So, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, that, that that we both have family members in the fashion industry. Yeah, and that now my really... my my daughter is taking after my grandmother because she's studying fashion, merchandising, and marketing. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's very cool. It's very. I'm afraid cool. I wasn't much of a fashion um aware person i was really preferred my kind of sloppy jeans and <laughs> within great despair you know you know look what who i am in the world and look at how you dress <laughs> well you terrible. know it's terrible. funny i i have a twin brother who is always dressed to the nines and i i mean this is me i wear t-shirt and jeans pretty <laughs> much is pretty much it unless i have to yeah. go into an office then i spruce it up a little bit but uh well you one of the ways i like to get to know my guests a little bit more stephanie is through um you know pop culture so i'm curious um did you have a favorite tv show or movie when you were younger oh well that's going to be hard to 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 say how how far back do you mean younger Oh, well, when you were, um, let's say, let's say a teenager. Well, a teenager, I do realize that I sort of, uh, I think I, are you asking me also about movies or just about movies, movies or TV, either or. Oh, I love, I love, I love the Ingmar Bergman. I just thought that that deep, tragic, dark Swedish stuff was, I do too. Very genuine. No, I absolutely can't take it anymore. But 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 I, but I did I did love it. I I didn't watch a whole lot of lot of television um, when I was young because my family watched Jackie Gleason, who was then quite young. Um, but after that, I didn't I didn't watch I didn't watch much much television. I'm sorry, I just can't remember uh, how much pop culture I. <laughs> and, and as far as as far as music goes, I mean, I loved classical song folk, and I love classical music. And I, and my only claim to fame in in pop music is that I took my little sister to the to Shea Stadium Beatles. Oh no, kidding! Legend. There, there we were, and uh, and I was up way up high, and uh, in the in the seats, and I could see these four little figures like, you know, down there, and and. The girls were screaming so loud. The minute they came out, the girls, including my sister, would start screaming this high-pitched scream. And every once in a while, through the scream, you'd hear one note of music. 
And then the screaming would start again. <laughs> That's what I remember hearing about that show was that you could not hear anything not hear. except for yeah. screaming. Yeah, I saw four little guys, an inch tall, with far below me. And we were in the last row. Um, and, uh, but, but it's, I impress people when I say I was, <laughs> and my sister was in heaven, my little sister. Do your, uh, do your sons still have their hearing? You mentioned before that. <laughs> yes, they actually didn't listen that much. They, they, they <laughs> do. I, I don't like amplified music. It, it, it kind of bothers me, but they, and yeah, but they, they did not, they did not go deaf from, um, from the singing in the living room. <laughs> and my older son is very proud to say that the tenor who is now, unfortunately, has passed on. Uh, he never brags about him as a tenor, but he says, Francisco was my Spanish tutor, and he was a very kind Spanish tutor. So that's how they remember him. How about uh, reading? Do you have a favorite place where you like to read? Bed. <laughs> <laughs> do you manage to stay I awake? <laughs> oh, no, I do, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I, I tell myself every night, you, it's one o'clock. You know you've got to get up in the morning and you, know, you don't do this stop turning pages but it's it's just so wonderful to, it is it so, is it is a pleasure it is a pleasure yeah, you're, I you're love feeding it. your the mind day is, the day is over all my obligations are over and i'm just with the story so and and last night i was um listening um i got halfway through to the audiobook of, of my own novel and which is really rather astonishing uh uh, the young uh, British actor who has been on Downton Abbey, and is, I mean, can do all those different voices and accents, and it's just totally amazing. It's popped up the page, and and, uh, uh, and I'm listening to it rather than having it internalized inside me. Am I really? So that's that's what kept me up much too late last night. Who was who was the actor? Was it the the guy who played Thomas or? No, um, he played a smaller role, and he's done an awful lot of things. I don't have his resume in front of me. His name is Philip Batley, and he's a he's a he's a he's a respected, uh, not a superstar, but uh, one of those uh, very respected, uh, very handsome young actors who appears in everything. <clears throat> and then also does as most actors do. He does audio books on the side, um, and which is a, a good way to fill in, you know, the the downtime. And uh, he's, I just, I just couldn't believe it. It, it was really strange. That's he wonderful. Had, it was wonderful. It was, I, golly, it was just wonderful. I have to write him. Now, well, speaking of writing, do you have a favorite place where you would like to write? Oh, I only write in one place. I have a little cubby. Uh, when you come into my apartment in the hallway, there's a little vestibule. And uh, my husband, um, built shelves and a desk in there. It was, a, I don't know what it was for originally. It's tiny. And I have my computer there and I have my shelves and the walls are full of, of cherished letters from editors and photographs of family. And it's all very ticket stubs to plays I've adored. It's very, it's very homey. Um, and it's, it's, I, I just love it. Very nice. And last up is uh, sometimes the more challenging question, which is uh, I like to call it Dear Younger Me. So if you could write your younger self a letter, what would you tell 
your younger self, Stephanie, what, how would you, how would you, uh, you know, either reassure or, um, you know, what, what would you like to whisper into your younger self's ear? That life isn't, you don't have to plan life, you know, like filling in the boxes and then you check off each box and, and then you know you've succeeded. It's, it's, it changes all the time and it's not un, or necessarily under your control, but you will change and change and become uh, hopefully a, a much more interesting and um, loving and compassionate person be, because of this. You know, you think you can arrange things, everything. Oh, you know, I'm going to do this when I'm 20, I'm going to do this when I'm 30, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have 6.4 children or whatever. God forbid. <laughs> my two were like six. I mean, um, no, that's that's what I that's what I would would say. It's really going to all be all right. You don't have to figure it all out right now. No, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think we're always in such a rush to have all the answers <laughs> when we have all the questions, and we realize that sometimes you know you, you can live life and answer those questions over time versus trying to have an answer and a plan right away. Right, and sticking to that absolute plan. Um, I think it's important um, in life to recognize when your plans change and to um, figure out if that's all right with you or not all right with you. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I changed in in, in midlife. Uh, I thought I was going to continue as a singer till I was 60 uh, and then perhaps go back to writing, but I I went back about 40 um, so that was a big change. I didn't expect it. I I didn't expect two characters to overturn my um, my plans, my life. <laughs> well, I mean that's it's it's an important point because we have to be opening to pivoting um, when when circumstances change or when inspiration strikes. And I think there's, you know, when when you're writing, you know, oftentimes the way I write, anyways, I have a sense of an outline where a story is going to go. I know where the beats are, but I'm always open to changing that when, because as, as you're writing, things change. You're learning more about your characters. You, you get inspiration for the story to go into a different direction than what you were originally thinking. And, and that's okay. Um, that's okay. So we have to be opening to pivoting when, um, when, uh, when, when we feel that's the right thing to do. I think it's for me in writing is constant pivoting. It's, it's never, I mean, I start out uh, with a character in a place. And then after that, uh, it just goes off its own way. And it might end up being a very, very different story. The, the Mozart novel I wrote was, was when I first started to sketch, it was extremely sad about his poverty and he couldn't make a living and they didn't have money for his family. And, and, uh, and, then, and then something quite wonderful happened in, in, in my life. And I suddenly wanted to make a happy story so I made it the way it is now which is very very happy story it's like a Mozart opera and uh, that's how it turned out and I'm terribly glad because the other one was I think it would have been kind of boring (laughs) (laughs) well very good Stephanie this has been a very enjoyable conversation if some of my listeners want to learn more about you are you active on on social media or do you have a website we can point people to I do. I, I have a website and I'm a very big Facebook person. 
Um, so that's uh, Stephanie Cowell. Um, uh, I guess it's Stephanie.Cowell.14. I sorry, I just filled out your form this morning. I didn't, I didn't notice you had one. Sorry. It's it's all good. It's all good. I'll I'll be sure to put that in our show notes so people don't have to write that down. And my website is just my name, stephaniecowell.com. One word. No, Very no. Thank you so much. Thank you. And and I assume the uh, a boy in the the boy in the rain is available wherever books are sold. It is available pretty much where book, all books are stolen, of course, online um, and in all kinds of places um, I'm finding around the, the world. <laughs> what if two copies end up in the strangest places? But, so I, I, I'm happy about that. It's getting around. And be on the lookout for the audiobook narrated by uh, a famous Philip guy. Fadley. Philip Fadley from Downton Abbey, yeah. amongst, amongst other things. Very yes, good. He's totally wonderful. And, and it's, uh, I, I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Very good. Stephanie, thank you for stopping by on uncorking a story and letting me uncork of yours. Listen to this title. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.